that. Ready to go. Great. I got my intro. Intro. Sorry, words are very hard. Duplos. I got my Duplos. And I got my Legos. And we're... Ready to choose. Office. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> I'm being comedically tickled. <laughs> Welcome to Scape Chats, episode 18. I'm Alan, and I'm here to discuss three episodes of Farscape with my good friend Magellan. This week, we're actually going to be discussing season two, episodes 11, 12, and 13 of Farscape. These are collectively known as the Look at the Princess trilogy, and all three of them were directed by Andrew Prowse and Tony Tilsa, and all three were also written by David Kemper. Man, what a trilogy. What There's a lot to unpack here. I like them, though. I'm going to say all right, right at the top. I also like them. A little disclaimer, I did fall asleep and have to rewatch <laughs> the first episode something like three or four times, and the second episode once or twice. But that was more on me than it was on the episodes themselves. Right, and you were telling me earlier that you didn't fall asleep because they were boring or because you were not into them. It was more just because they... How did you describe so it? So they, you- they lulled me to sleep because these episodes have sort of a weird pacing and aesthetic that isn't typical for Farscape um, because they have three episodes to breathe right off the bat. Something that we should mention is that they were written intended uh, as a, as a two episode series and then they expanded it to three. Right. Which shows in my, yeah, it explains some of the slowness of the first two episodes, which made it easy for me to kind of drift off when I was watching them, but also uh, the costume design the set design, a lot of the shots being like pretty far away from characters, um, crazy amount of dubbing, like really noticeable dubbing. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. All of it made this feel like some sort of late 60s, early 70s sci-fi epic that I caught by accident on the sci-fi channel in the middle of the afternoon at like four. And I'm like, oh, I'll watch Look at the Princess from Space. And then I fall asleep in the middle of that movie. And then you come back during part three and everyone's fighting and you're like, oh, this is This wacky. is pretty cool. I like this. I love yeah, this kind show. of thing. I should watch more of What's this. That's a weird looking. Oh, an acid pit. Nice. <laughs> oh, I forgot about the acid pit. Damn. <laughs> uh, these, that's actually appropriate because, I mean, Farscape was airing onto the Sci-Fi channel and these episodes aired in like late July, early August. So, you know, July 21st. So it's like a lazy summer day kind of thing. August 4th. Totally. It's like exactly in that time. Yeah. And I think the 60s sci-fi aesthetic is, like, kind of intentional because, you know, they're on this weird planet and there's a bunch of royalties, so they get to go all out with the co- the costumes. Yeah. I think that the costuming and the set design rivaled uh, the Lawyer Planet episode for me in terms of, like, there were a lot of memorable visuals from that episode, mm-hmm. at least in, like, the way that people were dressed. But this one, I feel like, tells a more cohesive it, – it, it depicts royalty in a really interesting way. Yeah, for sure. For a sci-fi show. Yeah, I loved... And, I thought the costumes on this episode were... Or these three episodes were fantastic. Like, better than I've yeah. seen them in a while. And they they get right into it, honestly. Because it's... How does the first episode basically start? Because I should point out also that Magellan watched this while he was... You know, he fell asleep during the first couple. And I watched these over a month ago. Yeah. So, we're a little rusty. We haven't recorded in a while. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna just get into it. Aaron and John are sitting in the Farscape 1 in the maintenance bay. And she's teaching him maneuvering tricks when he smells her hair. <laughs> the start to the best fan fiction of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I 
remember being a big fan of the first like five minutes of this episode because it starts with Aaron and John. They're in the Farscape one. They're kind of like flirting or something. And then Aaron gets really mad. And she's like, I won't be a slave to your hormones. And then they play that in both the previously on Farscapes. Yep. So you're really aware of that. Just that line. Just that well-written line. <laughs> <laughs> then John gets, like, mad. And then Chiana shows up. And she's like, you don't know how to deal with ladies, do you? Then something happens. And then, like, he walks in on her and Dargo having sex or something. I don't know. Is this the scene? Because there's multiple vert scenes of them, him walking in on them having sex. But is this the one that you mentioned to me? No. That's, a, that's the one from oh, the no. second episode. <laughs> God, I love that Dargo and Chiana just do that now, though. It's they're just constantly in a state of pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, that that they, I think the reason that they keep doing that in the previously on is because thematically, a lot of this episode is about John and Aaron and their relationship and how they deal with like jealousy and and commitment and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Like, it's actually, if you break it down and, and remove the fact that it's a three-part epic, uh, this is just an episode about a guy who gets involved in, like, some royal fiasco, and there's a wedding, and, and you know, it's actually, like, a fairly standard plot for this type of show. There's a wedding, and then he gets in trouble, right. but, like, it just keeps going down that you for I was forgetting by the end that it was still, like, the Aaron-John relationship was at the core of it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, f- I partly felt like the middle of it was dragging, was because it was so lore-heavy and, like... sure. He's just frozen for a long time. <laughs> but how do, you, how do we get onto the planet? He leaves, right? Um, I honestly don't remember very well. Right. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Rigel wants to speak representative, stuff. counselor. This crane holds him back. Aaron and Zahn explain to Tino that they have no weapons. Uh, oh, there's like, um, they just come to the the orbit of this planet or something. And they're right, right. they're really on high alert because they're about to... They're trying to find a new regent, basically. And so they're kind of like, we don't want to let um, off-worlders onto the planet. And then Rigel convinces them to. Um, yes. Through his, like, I'm a, I'm a domina. I am a domina. And then they get onto the, onto the planet. There's actually a line right before that when uh, John walks in on Dargo and Chiana, where I think John is like, wow, what do you guys just do this now? And then Dargo says, um, and I wrote, this is a direct quote. My life has been a series of crippling failures, but with this girl, I experience complete pleasure. Which, <laughs> mwah, Anthony Simcoe, you are the uh, best. Dargo is everything I want in life. The thing, it, I, other than the whole like endless suffering in his past. The thing that I've started really loving about Anthony Simcoe's performance is the little like exacerbated sigh that he does sometimes, uh, where he kind of yeah, lets out yeah. a little breath and like gives people a cockeyed look. Like, come on, guys. It helps that his his face uh, mask is like it lets him be expressive because a lot of times sci fi characters are like, well, I'm static now because I can't. Yeah, move. like the scaring guy. Exactly. We'll talk about exactly. That, I guess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot. Oh, you're bringing back memories. There's so much. Yeah, I kind of. There's like. I think that going plot point by plot point is not the best way to do this. So I'm gonna. No, yeah. I'm gonna try to run it down super quick, like the core of these three episodes. Go for okay. it. Okay. Because I was gonna just look for a way to do that. So. Essentially, they get on this planet. It's a Sebation planet that has some kind of ties to the Peacekeepers, but it's in, like, the outer world areas, so yep. whoever they're tied to is sort of in flux, okay? We get onto this planet. There's a bar there. In the bar, stuff happens. Main thing that we discover is that 
this species is a really stable society, partly because they have a little potion that they use that they like put on their tongues before they kiss someone. And it, <laughs> it makes sense. And then they kiss. <laughs> and if it tastes sweet, is that right? Yes. If it tastes sweet, that means that they're biologically compatible and that they should. What a beautiful world. They, they live should in, like they can just determine that. get married and have kids basically. Yeah. 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 Um, this is a monarchical society ruled by an empress. Um, and the empress has two kids. She has a son and a daughter. The daughter is older, so she is theoretically next in line for the throne, but she needs to have a husband in order to get it because they believe in the stability of people ruling as a, as a man and woman. Um, the problem is that she has not found a biological, a suitable biological partner through this kissy thing. Yeah. Whereas her brother has. So when we're in this bar, I remember hating her brother. Yeah. He's a bad guy. Um, he has a, he has a lady friend and he also is in league with the Scarens who are these big, like, I don't know how to describe them. Like troll lizards kind of. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Um, Scorpius is half Scaren. So they have his same like sallow gray skin and really pronounced cheekbones. Um, but they're a little different and I want to talk about the Scaren guy in more detail in a bit, but essentially the brother, uh, Whose name escapes me? Clay, Prince Clavor is his name. Clavor, yes, which is a great name. Yeah, uh, Clavor. Prince Clavor is in league against his sister, Princess Catralla. He's in league with the Scarens, yep. and his thing is like, hey, if you help me get the throne, then we'll be cool with the Scarens. And the Scarens want that because then they have a foothold into this region, and they because they're they don't like the peacekeepers. They're not currently at war, but they really don't like each other. We find out, I don't remember when we find out, but at some point we find out that the Scarin guy has altered Princess Catralla's DNA so that she is not, it's not possible for her to be compatible with a Sebastian. Okay. But. Interesting. You know who she does kiss because he's a new man in town. Rigel. Nope. Oh, that would have been a way cooler episode, but no. <laughs> it would have been pretty funny. No, she kisses John Crichton and it works. John Crichton, he works. It's him. It's him. It's me. <laughs> Uh-huh. I like that. I like that he was there. First of all, I, I when as soon as we got to that bar where everyone's kissing, I was like, "Is this just a?" Pl-? This is one of my notes. Is this just a planet where everybody kisses? Because mm-hmm. I need to live there. This is this is everything I've ever wanted. That's well, how they that bond. Was, That's that how they. That was how John Crichton felt about it at first. He's like, "Yeah, he was like, cool. this is great." And then it's like, and it's a cool, it's a fun parallel between him and uh, Aaron's son because he's like, "This is great." She's like, "This is the worst." But he's having trouble finding people, and she's not. Mm-hmm. Like people are coming to her just you know, jumping over each other to be like, hey, you want to do the kiss test? And she's like, just fuck off. Yeah. That happens like eight times in the episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. So John Crichton initially, he really liked this planet because it's just like, oh, we get to make out and then they walk away. It's awesome. Uh, but now he's kind of got all this responsibility because the whole hope of the planet is on mm-hmm. him to wed the princess. And he's against it. He kind of doesn't want to do it. Um do they get married in the first episode? They do, right? No, I don't remember. I well, I know in the first episode. That, yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, because uh, one of my favorite scenes is in the first episode. Anyway, basically, he's a little iffy on it, and the Empress is like, "No, you got to do it, dude. It'd be really cool." And he's like, eh, "I don't, but I don't want to. I just want to go away." And then she's like, "Well, there's this guy here. His name is uh, what was it again? Oh, Scorpius. It's Scorpius. His name's Scorpius, and he's here. Whoa, whoa. And uh, if you don't marry my daughter, then I don't know. You can go hang out with Scorpius. He seems fine. 
Scorpius is there. We- and the mom is immediately just like, like takes a wheel, a weird heel turn where she's like, yeah, if you don't marry my daughter and you ruin everyone, then I'm going to throw you at this guy. I don't know what's his deal, but I'm your, your deal. Yeah. So I want to talk it's about like, that because that didn't make a ton of sense to me, but no. we'll get there. Uh, so Scorpius is like, hello, it's me, Scorpius. Hi. I'm Perfect impression. Missed you so much. Missed you. So now, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so now John has this dilemma because he doesn't really want to be the emperor of this planet, but he gets the sense that the brother's kind of a bad guy who's hanging out with the Scarin, and he really yeah. doesn't want to be killed by Scorpius or get his his uh, wormhole knowledge taken. So, so what's a Crichton to do? What's a Crichton to do? So he's kind of leaning towards it, and it seems really cool. They've got this machine where you can, like, see what your kid's going to look like. It's really great. That's one of my favorite scenes. Um, We'll come back to that. Yep. So he's super, like, he's kind of intrigued. But then, oh, here's a caveat to it. If you become the dude, the ruling dude, you got to be a statue for 80 years, 80 cycles. Oh, no. Which is kind of a long time. And this is a... Please, 80 cycles. Yeah, sorry. This is a no-go for John Crichton because he still wants to get back to Earth, right? He still has the hope that he can see his family again. Yeah, it's weird because his motivation there is like, ah, I have have things for me in the present. Like, I want to get back. But a lot of his friends, I, you don't know how much to how they age. Like, you don't know how the rest of the Farscape team ages. So a lot of them might not be necessarily old and gray. They might, you know, be have some sort of weird eternal youth. But yeah, he, he's like, yeah, but Earth is still aging. And I still need to go back there because right. then, yeah, I don't want to lose my whole family. Right. And it's this weird parallel to the episode where, or like a human reaction, where he's like, maybe I don't, maybe Earth is not the place to be. Now he's like, no, no, no. But when I'm really like down to the wire, I want to go back. Exactly. Which I thought was interesting. Um, so he's like, 80 cycles? I can't do that. What about, you know, everything I, everybody I know will be dead. My dad, DK, my sisters, Buffy the Vampire Slayer will be dead. Wonderful. Which was a nice reference. John Crine referencing uh, late 90s, early 2000s pop culture is my new favorite thing. Yep. So he's not too happy about it, but he eventually decides that it's the right way to go with the help of Dargo's persuasion. Because Dargo's like, you really don't want to deal with the Scorpius guy. Uh, so John Crichton's condition for accepting is, hey, you got to ban Scorpius from this planet, which the Empress is like, yeah, okay, cool. I didn't really know him that well to begin with, so no skin <laughs> off my back. Aaron's son's not happy about John being a statue because she loves him, but it's hard for her to say it because you know, that's her whole character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that really gets down to the bone of it. Yeah. Um, so she's kind of like, ah, I'm going to go with this handsome dude and go rock climbing. <laughs> Have fun being a statue. <laughs> what a useless thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of that was just to give her something to do. Right. It well, was a bummer there is a lot of giving people something to do, <clears throat> Zahn. <clears throat> uh, oh, my God. I forgot about Zahn in this episode. Anyway. <laughs> ah! So they're like, all right, we're coronating John Crichton. He becomes the dude, the cool dude. Then they put him yep. in a statue. It's a really dumb looking statue. Then we hit episode three. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. So episode one ends with, just to go back a little teensy bit, yep. he's just gotten married and he's in the like uh, like apartment or whatever with the, his new wife. And he's like, yeah, everything's, I guess, I don't know. I'm scared and I'm, this is weird, but I'm married. And then a bunch of guys come in and they're like, hey, here's a present to oh, Playboy. that's right. That's right. Yeah. And they shoot a weapon at him that means that he basically saw the Ark of the Covenant and he dissolves <laughs> into pure credits. Right. He becomes more credits than And him. then he gets yeah. saved by the woman that Claivor is engaged to, who turns out to be a peacekeeper spy. She was awesome. I forgot about her, too. Yeah. And her mission 
is if Clavor becomes the emperor to yep. to kill him. Yes. She's a badass and a half. Also, yeah, the first two of these first two episodes of this trilogy both end with really stupid freeze frames of John. If I think they're both John Crichton. Yeah, yeah making that same weird face. <laughs> exactly. Like what a weird connecting thread. His weird green um, face. And the way that they like I hated that that the first episode ends with him being like, "Oh my god, he's being melted." And then the second one's like, oh, but he only got a little bit melted. He's fine. <laughs> like, it doesn't. Yeah. What is happening to him physiologically that you can reverse it right. and send him back to zero? Yeah. Is what I'm, I don't want to think about so, it. So, anyway, um, we get to the third episode. He's a statue. That's kind of just the way it is. But then, in the middle of the night, uh, Clavor comes with his Scarin buddy. And Clavor's yep. like, ah, oh, I hate this statue. It's the worst. And then the Scarin's like, what if I just use this laser to cut its head off? Yes. And they're like, you know, that does work. Like, oh, well, great. So then they have his head, and for a minute, it's like, oh, John Crichton's dead. No, turns out the way these statues work. So first of all, the backing up a bit, the logic behind turning you into a statue is that Princess Catralla and Crichton can observe the goings-on of the government. So there's statues in the government building. Um, Yeah. So that they can know everything that's been going on have full knowledge of the political structure of the planet so that by the time they're unfrozen in 80 cycles, they can rule holistically and with as much knowledge as possible. It's not an awful idea. It's actually a pretty a, cool idea. Yeah. Um, the it, only issue is that they're fully aware of everything. So it's just 80 years of like not being able to move, but they can hear and see everything. And they can like telepathically speak to you if you have a weird microphone. Yeah, the weird like headset thing. Yeah. So, anyway, um, they cut off Crichton's head, and Claybor's like, well, the way these statues work, because my gran- my great-grandpa, there was an earthquake, and his statue fell apart into a bunch of pieces, but if you just put the pieces back together, then it's fine. They're fine. So, we yeah. gotta melt this head in a big pot of acid. Yes, that's where the acid came and from. And the okay. Scarin's like, cool, I love acid. This is great. <laughs> I'm not a big fan. So, they dump Crichton's head into the acid. And it yep. kind of floats to the side of the bin, which you could tell the cinematographer didn't want to happen. And it was like, oh, no, <laughs> I wanted it to float to the middle. Crap. I uh, got to zoom in. So I don't know why it's so not. It's why. Why not refilm that and like push it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Because Australia. Then Crichton's head gets saved by <gasps> Scorpius. Yeah. Wait yeah, a minute. Kind of weird, huh? Turns out Scorpius can track Crichton's DNA somehow, which seems like he should have been able to use that before. (laughs) Seems like it would have been really helpful a while ago. Seems like he would have found him in two seconds. Like back at the beginning of the season. But anyway, Scorpius is like, I don't want your head to melt. I love all your little facts. Don't die. Your little warp facts. I love your your little tiny warp facts. Don't give those up to the acid town. Scorpius saves his head. Then Scorpius gets beaten up by the lady. What's her name? Assassin lady. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the she list of name. names why, why would she not have a name? She's not Genavian Charto. Is she? Is that her name? <laughs> it's Genavian, yes. You're right. Oh, okay. Oh, she's hot. I remember her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> she's a disruptor from the Peacekeeper Special Directorate. Correct. Uh, Undercover yeah, on the okay, Royal so Planet Genavian. in the Breakaway Clause. So Genavian <laughs> saves, 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 <laughs> saves John's head. Then she returns him into a dude again with the machine. Yeah, which I didn't really know why Thanks, she babe. did that, except to make to keep him safe, I guess. Well, she thought that he was also a peacekeeper. Remember? Oh, yeah, that's true. 
So she's like, oh, buddies, we're doing the same thing. I got to help you out. And he's like, thanks. Also, might maybe I'm not. I don't think he tells her. She finds out in the third episode. Yeah, she not. figures it out yeah, logically. Yeah. Um, then they hatch a plan to to do something. I don't Who, him and her? Yeah. <laughs> the real, to fight the, real the fun scare, is, To kill the Scarin, I guess. Yes. The real fun of this episode is us trying to remember anything. <laughs> well, it's just, it, you know, it's like court politics. Like, there's just yeah, some yeah. delicate stuff. We got to beat the bad guy so that we can get... So it all it all wraps up. All I'm trying to get to the end so we can dig into this just the fun yep. little specific bits. It all starts to wrap up when um, Carvo Clavor Clavor Carvo Clavor. It's the Halloween special. <laughs> it's me, Carvo. I'm here to carve your pumpkins. Ah, now I carve you. <laughs> this one looks like a droid from Star Wars. <laughs> I'm an artisan. Anyway. <laughs> Buy my stuff on it. <laughs> Going on. Moving on. Claybor is talking to this Garen guy, and he's like, yeah, so I got to denounce you in order for this to fully go over well, because now my mom hates off-worlders thanks to all the shit that's happening. And the Garen's like, ah, oh, no, that's not the plan at all. And Claybor's like, no, 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 this is good for you for some reason. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and so the Garen is like, well, no, I'm just going to kill you. You're dead now. Oh man! Kills him. Then it's like, okay, let's pretend that we're sad about that. That's what Genevian does. Uh, and then John's like, he deserved it. She's like, slap. Even though they just had sex the day before, you know. Maybe he's into that kind of thing. I wrote here, take a drink every time somebody gets bitch slapped in these episodes. Yeah, it happens quite a bit. <laughs> decent amount, especially like Aaron and Genevian both smacking. Right, and for various reasons. Right. So by this point, the Scarin guy had captured Chiana because he thought she might know where Crichton is. She doesn't. She's dangling over the pit of acid. Uh oh. Oh no. Who comes to her rescue? It's John, Dargo, and Scorpius, the dream, the dream team. <laughs> what a trio! Uh, John is able to get the Scarin to shoot the Scarin guy a lot, and then push him into the acid. He's dead. Dargo. Oh, man does a flying leap across the pit to save Chiana. <laughs> She's alive. They leave. Scorpius is still here. He's like, hey, I, I didn't really help, but I'm cool. Then John Crichton holds his face to the acid, and he's like, you listen to me, fella. Well, I'm not, we're not enemies. We're not friends. Next time I see you, one of us is going to die. Let's not do this anymore. What a lot. What a, what a scene. Yeah. And then, and, then, and then John Crichton walks away. He's like, I did a good job. Scorpius I'm really cool. immediately straightens up, kind of snaps his neck or whatever. Then he playfully puts his hand in the acid, flicks it off, and walks away. Ugh. Yeah. The acid doesn't affect Scarin, half Scarins. For some reason. Sure. <laughs> is that something we're going to find out, or is that just pocket <coughs> Maybe it was his suit or something? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Anyway. But the point is, he's like, you actually had no power over me. Yeah, I was Sorry. letting you think that you had leverage, but you didn't. Yes. So that's cool. Then we get back on the ship. We have our end of episodes chatting. Um, and then at the very end, something very cute happens. Aaron silently comes up to John, has the little kiss potion. They do the little kiss. And then at first it seems like, oh, that, that didn't work. She turns away from him. She looks sad. But then, then she smiles. And he smiles. Oh. And she walks away. Credits. And then it makes that sound that's in the background right now where it sounds like a spaceship, but it's probably a plane. <laughs> it's, a, it's an airplane. <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole time, we'll talk uh. first about the thing I want to talk about first, because it was useless. Zahn is on more. I with liked Pop. it. I'm going to be devil's advocate and say I liked it. I thought 
it was pointless. Every time you disagree with me, it turns into a song. I don't know why. Um, it's, it was kind of pointless, but it was like thematically cool. The information was interesting, but it, yeah. it just bothers me that they fridge Zahn so often. Yes, totally. Um, it's happening like often enough to the point where it's like, do you guys not? This is like the. F- you need someone to help you because she's really interesting. It's like the fourth time this season where they have just the, yeah. put her in a different plot for the whole episode. Um, <sighs> anyway, so meanwhile. Zahn is on Moya, and Moya feels compelled to leave for some reason. So, to leave uh, the rest of the gang and, like, leave them? Yeah, to just fly away somewhere. And Pilot's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. If if we stop Moya, she will die. <laughs> she will die. <laughs> it's so breathy. I love that version of uh, 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 Voice Actor Go. You can do it. Uh, oh... Jimmy John Beluga, oh, Steve Steve Simcoe. Grace, what's his name? Uh, uh, he had a really cool he has name. A great oh, we name. can do it. No, um, 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 no, it's all <laughs> no, gone. it's gone. No. Is his name not Bylar Crace? Yeah, that's the actor's name. Ah, uh, I'm sorry, guys. Please bear with me. Lonnie One Tupu. Second, Lonnie Tupu. I, whoa, I threw my pen across the room. <laughs> can you vamp for two seconds while I get that pen? Yeah, do that. So anyway, Zan, Zan is on Moya, and they fly away, and Moya's compelled to go this direction. Pilot doesn't know why, but he's like, let's roll with it. Let's just see what's up with this. I got the pen. They end up in this weird, misty area, and Zan's like, whoa, what's that shit? And Pilot's like, it's Moya's creator. It's her god. So it's space god. That's kind of cool. Then Zahn meets Moya's god. He's a mist man. He's a man of the mist. <laughs> with a Welsh accent. Uh, uh, and he is he, played by... Jonathan Hardy. Is that his name? Also known as... Rigel. Yes. Rigel, the, the actor who voices Rigel, has never been seen on the show before. And they finally decide to put him in the show, and he is god. <laughs> he's in like a big white toga situation. Yeah. He's got, he's got Rigel's eyebrows. I gotta say that. He does. He, it's they model. Kind of looks like a person. human Rigel. Ex- it's yeah, exactly. Like he's got like the physical, the physical like body of it, and the eyebrows. And, yeah, ugh, that is weird to me. But so okay. he's upset because Moya had Talon, and these builders—that's what they're called. The yep. builders created Leviathans as like peaceful vessels. So first of all, this is pretty cool that something intelligently designed Moya because it had bothered me for a long time. That a ship would just evolve and ha- right, have yeah, like rooms has to, and stuff. Like yeah, kind of there has didn't. to be some. There has to be purpose to its creation. Yeah. So I think what the builders did is they took like ships and then made them alive. Okay. I think they just that's what they did. Interesting. That is, there's a religious metaphor in there somewhere. Sure, somewhere. So they made leviathans as peaceful creatures, but now they're worried because Moya had a child that has weapons. Um, and so he's like, I'm going to decommission Moya. I'm going to turn off Moya because she has this capacity to do bad things. Um, and so he kind of gets Moya to just die. And she's like, okay with it at first, Yeah, because right? it's her god. And she's like, well, yeah. This is how I go. How I Sorry. Go. Pilot's like, well, I'm here. I can't really go anywhere. I'm with, yeah, I'm not going. I'm not Zahn's understandably upset. She tries to fight against it. She tries to reason with him, yell at him, suck him into an engine. <laughs> And eventually, he shows up and he's like, hey, Zahn, Moya's back on. 
Spooky! Turns out I was testing you the whole time. Gotcha! Peace! And then he disappears into mist. Yep. So that's that part I agree is like it ends uselessly. It's like, oh, okay. But it made me think about stuff like Divine Creation and how that factors into Farscape. Because I feel like a lot of sci-fi deals with religion in ways that are just like, oh, we're doing clear parallels to modern uh, Abrahamic religions. And these are just like, you know, there's space Jesus or there's space yeah. uh, Muhammad, whatever. And like this felt like a more unique amalgamation of different cultures, religious beliefs. True. And the idea that it's implanted like on the culture of ships and not people is as good of a uh justification for moya being a character on the show as anything else like yeah she her like she has a people she's not a she's not a singular unit she's she's one of many and they have a god that they you know they worship and that they believe in and that they and created them. so it, it humanizes moya in a big way even more than any any of the other things in this episode and the show previously so that's what i liked about it yeah i agree with all that my issue is just that it was so it felt so disconnected from the main plot, and also it suffered from the fact that it was the B-plot of a three-part episode. Like, this would have been a great side plot for a single episode, um, and it would have been fine to bench Zahn for another single episode. Like, they do it a lot, but this would be a cool side plot. She got to actually talk and hear Moya's voice, which is an honor that no other character has had. Oh, yeah, that did happen. But that was pretty cool. cool voice. Yeah, they. I thought it was going to sound dumb, but it sounded really cool. Yeah. Um, but, like, this being what Zahn was doing for three straight episodes. It drags so It much. drags, like, crazy. It's criminal that they're wasting her as a character on this plot. That's like, it's cool info, but it does not sustain three episodes. I think, yeah, if this is, like, a perfect plot, like a late season Zahn, we don't have anything to do with her. But we want her to have something that's thematically resonant with the rest of the episode. Like, A, this is not the episode to do it in because it's a three-parter. And B, the three-parter has to do with relationships and how we deal with, like, the people that we love and, and what commitment is. Whereas uh, the B-plot is, like, you know, what is what is faith? And, like, it's, it's yeah. they're, like, two completely different... Uh, axes of, sure. of, a, of a story and they don't they don't mesh at all and that's why it doesn't last for three e- it doesn't feel fresh for three episodes right that's, that was what was frustrating to me about that plot and i i just i want more out of Zon so badly i want her to just get mm-hmm. more and i i we were running out of time like we're just running out of episodes this season at least so i don't know man yeah. get it together yeah. you, you the, the writers clearly know what they're doing if they're writing these really deep interesting plot heavy a plots just give her some of that don't just make her the savior don't just make her you know the character who no one ever thought about she's she's kind of falling into the like what's gilbert not gilbert and sullivan rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead uh, so it's just zahn is dead is <laughs> <It's, it's> her, <laughs> her show uh-huh. but do you wanted to dive deeper on some of the stuff that happened in the main the a plot hey everybody it's time for the moya bag where i sneak into moya's mail room and read some wonderful feedback that we get from the fans we got a decent amount this week. First up on Twitter is regular commenter who had a few more notes on their memo about how we got Lonnie and Jonathan Hardy mixed up in the previous episode. They praised the beautiful mimicry of Out of Their Minds and mentioned how that is a good episode to watch when you're trying to relax after just tough times. And they made some interesting points about the John and Aaron relationship. And how Aaron is the masculine one amongst the two of them. And apparently that's going to play into things in the future. Which 
a lot of the comments this week were actually about how some of the comments that we said are going to come back and bite us in the ass or surprise us as we get further in. Speaking of more comments, we got plenty on the Reddit thread, which can be found as always at reddit.com slash r slash Farscape. Rexdust, a user who previously commented on, I believe, I had the name of the episode, but I can't remember it right now, uh, commented that they were catching up, and as of this episode, or as of episode 17, they are now caught up, so congratulations Rexdust. Maridi says, other user Maridi, I love Out of Their Minds. I love Farscape fun episodes like Crackers Don't Matter, this one, Won't Get Fooled Again, Revenging Angel, John Quixote, etc. I didn't really care about My Three Crichtons the first time I watched it, but I realized that it affected my reaction to the arc on the following season, so I've learned to appreciate it a lot more. The idea of personhood and identity is a big one, and this is the first episode that directly tackles that issue. They also commented that we mixed up, well, we thought that Metra was the Farscape equivalent of Meter, and it is not. They said, how much is a Metra? Someone did the math. The proper length of a Metra is almost certainly greater than 1.2 kilometers, and probably greater than 3.2 kilometers. And yeah, I've always noticed that when they do equivalent measurements on Farscape, they aren't exact, they're like slightly off. So an Arn is like about an hour, but not actually exactly an hour. So... That is interesting that someone did the math, I guess. Um, user Leo Chris says, Great episode, guys. I haven't commented before, though I've been religiously listening, but I truly felt like I had to stop by and praise your in-depth discussion of My Three Crichtons. It makes me very excited to see what you guys think of another couple future episodes, which I obviously won't elaborate on because of spoilers. Speaking of Rick and Morty, did you guys know that Claudia Black and Virginia Hay made an appearance on the show in the same episode? Uh, I think I may end up mentioning this in a future episode, because obviously we record these a while back, but I don't even know if that episode had aired at the time when we did these, but yeah, I, I love that episode. It's one of the best. Uh, Magellan also got into Rick and Morty um, recently, and wonderful show, and their their roles in the episode that they're on are really good, and not even like direct parallels to Aaron and, uh, uh, what's it called? Zahn, sorry. <laughs> um, but they're, they're still really good roles nonetheless, and it's great to hear those voices in 2016. Uh, wonderful frequent commenter Blue, Blue Blaze Spear says, When they refer to Crichton as Commander Crichton on the ship, they're just referring to him by his former Earth rank, like when Pilot refers to Aaron as Officer Sun, which is a very good point. You guys were impressively prescient in regards to Farscape's tendency in creating life and then asking the crew and us to wonder what an alive thing is and how we should care about it. It's a theme that will come up later in the series. However, in regards to them swapping out one Crichton for another, I would disagree with you about the show not being able to change the status quo of who the main characters are and how they function. But then I have, not the, I have the not small benefit of having seen the show all the way through. I remember at the first airing of My Three Crichtons that there was speculation that the three Crichtons were representative of Crichton's character arc, with the first one being dumb and clueless, yet having a kind heart, the current Crichton who's had experience and has learned things and isn't the same guy who used to talk his way out of problems, and then possibly hinting at a future Crichton who's smart and clever but also cold and calculating. But that was all just the speculation at the time. I really like that read of the of the show. I think that is kind of what they're trying they might be trying to say with the three Crichtons, but I don't know enough about where Crichton goes in the future to confirm whether or not Futuro is a viable end goal for Crichton, or not end goal, but sort of end state, but I think that's interesting to consider, and we'll definitely come back to that um, as we go on. I think people's positive reactions to our My Three Crichton's discretion is definitely leading to me thinking about that episode as we go onward, um, and we watch more episodes, because it seems like some of the stuff they're hinting at is going to get 
big in the future. Um, and, and lovely person, Mr. Jay Handel, says, This episode, oh, this is them quoting us. Uh, this episode creates a scenario that could not possibly become the status quo and tries to convince us it can. And they just commented, oh boy, with three smiley face emojis. Uh, that's exciting and terrifying at the same time. Uh, but yes, those are those are the comments we got this week. I really just want to pop in here and mention that this was a really weird episode to edit because we recorded it several months after the previous one. This one was back in October of 2015. And so we were getting back into school and our recording setup was not very good at the time and our internet situation was terrible. So um, that is a big reason for all the technical difficulties. I hope that what is released is salvageable and people can listen to it and, and be able to, you know, enjoy it, have it be an enjoyable experience. Um, but not all the episodes are going to sound this kind of awkward and muddled. Uh, and the conversation, I think, is, is still a fun one. And the look at the Princess Trilogy is great. So um, I hope you enjoy that aspect of it. I had to put this break into the middle of a point that we were making just because we didn't stop for a break because we were doing a very long recording session with no time for breaks. And I don't have any corrections. I just finished listening to the episode. I know we, we still do the Tony Tilsa, Tony Tills mistake. But that's um, been, uh, what's it called? <laughs> that's been hit hard enough on our heads at this point that we kind of get it. Um, other than that, I think that's all I had to say to you guys. Thank you for listening and enjoy the second half of our discussion of the Look at the Princess trilogy. Yeah, why don't I just read the background info from the first episode just at Please this stage and maybe that'll spark something for us to talk about. Sure. sure. Uh, the title, A Kiss is But a Kiss. So part one is called Look at the Princess, part one, A Kiss is But a Kiss. Comes yep. from the song As Time Goes By from Casablanca. Ah. Yeah. The trilogy title, Look at the Princess, was an inside joke between Rockney Sabanan and David Kemper. It had become a gag phrase during production in the first season. I don't understand how that's a gag phrase, but I guess you had to be there. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's an inside joke that we're not going to explain to you. Sorry. Thanks, cool Farscape Facts, Star Wars edition. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Kemper's original idea for the story was a fairy tale that had Crichton getting married, having a child, and being a statue for 80 years. When a freelance writer declined to write the story based on the pitch, Kemper decided to write it. Okay. Oh, That's okay. interesting. Um, I kind of wanted Crichton to be a statue for 80 years. A lot of the conversation that came around him seriously considering it was, like, some of my favorite stuff in the episode. And in the episodes, whatever, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why I was like, just, they leaned into it. I know why they can't. is because you can't keep the main character out of the show, and you really gotta stretch to justify him being out for 80 years, but... Right. It would have just made things too weird. But I would, I don't know. Like, that just was so interesting to me that I really wanted to see it happen. Yeah. Let's see. The Look at the Princess trilogy was originally intended and shot as a two-part episode. When the producers decided to expand it into a three-parter, they had to write and shoot several additional scenes. These additional 14 scenes uh, were directed uh -huh. by Andrew Prowse and threaded through the three hours. But the original two-episode portions were directed by Tony Tilsa. So that's why they have shared credit on directing right. these episodes. Right, right, right. That is really obvious. Uh, when you watch this yeah, episode. I would love to know which scenes. Yeah, it, I, I mean, I have it in my head, like, a lot of the scenes that you didn't even need to mention when you did the plot rundown. Like, there's a whole thing where uh, Assassin Lady and Crane are on, like, a like a grassy planet together doing weird sex stuff. That happens. <laughs> there's a whole thing about the slave girl and how she's, like, betraying Crichton for Scorpius. 
She's right. kind of leaving by the way, out. Slave then, Girl played by played by Francesca Buller, who is his uh, his wife, real life wife. Yeah. Oh, was that the season two? It sure, camera? yeah, it sure was. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like she mm-hmm. they, she has a whole plot, and she's like a developed character who shows up in the first one, uh, go does something in the second one, and then like is the focus of the third one. It's ah, oh, there's so many just useless it it loses coherency because of how many extra scenes there are you can really just be like yeah the scene could have been completely snipped right. i don't need more relationship between Crichton and assassin like which again is part of what contributed to that sense that i have that it was kind of a late 60s early 70s sci-fi epic like it felt because it, it was you know if you add up the running time almost three hours right so it felt yeah, like yeah. one of those big three-hour movies that just didn't get edited the way it needed to because people kind of would sit in theaters for longer and tolerate that more. Um, yeah. That know. was why Cleopatra was a f- whatever five and a half hour exactly. movie or whatever. Um, the exterior scenes with the Scarin were filmed in the Chinese gardens in Sydney. Okay. Ooh, I love me some Chinese gardens in Sydney. Tom- he says as he looks up pictures. Thomas Holsgrove took the Scarin role when previous actors had issues with the costume and the heat. Well, I want to talk about the Scarin <laughs> next. After this yes. last piece of background info, uh, during the scene where Aaron yep. kisses Rigel, Claudia Black's cell phone went off, meaning she had to buy a case of beer for the crew. That's just a little fun background info. That that fun fact just makes me want to be there when that happened. Like, <laughs> oh, damn it. Sorry. Rockney, <laughs> what do you like? And he's like, we're in Australia. All we can get is, what's the one Australian beer that no one likes? The Aussie beer. Uh, Kangaroo. Uh, Foster's. Oh, Foster's. Yes. Yes, I love it when I remember things. (laughs) Get a case of Foster's, thank you. All right, that's completely British and not at all Australian. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. Jesus. (laughs) Part two, come on. All right, what do we, what's next? Let's talk about the Scarin. Oh, you mean, uh, what's his name? I don't know. Did he have a name? Steve. We're gonna call him. Let's call him Steve, just for convenience. I'm gonna sake. see if he had a name, but I like Steve. Yeah, and I'm. Yeah, Steve seemed like a thing. The problem with Steve oh, is that his, he's like his name was Sastoretsky Karn. So what you're saying is Steve? Yeah, let's call him Steve. <laughs> yeah, sassy Steve. Sassy. Uh, he the, is he the first like full Scarin we've ever seen on the show? Yes. My problem with Scarins on the show is, as at least this guy. Is just a guy with a really, not only just like a guy with a mask, but a guy with a mask that looks like it's 50 pounds. Right. Just has a heavy head, and that's all his, like, he just has a weird lizard head and a weird vocal, like, uh, modifier. That's it. These are scarens. They're really important to, like, the lore of the show. Lore is a gross word, but, like, the story of this show and the background of this show. And they look so dumb. He looks like a mascot costume. Like he, yeah, he looks like he's gonna dance around to like uh, pump up the jams. <laughs> yeah, my issue with him is that he had no neck mobility. So in scenes where he was in the middle of two characters and he had to like be menacing to both, he had to like whip his whole body Turn around. His whole neck. <laughs> it's like that looks stupid. That just looks. Silly. I was reading somewhere that um, when they were making the this is just semi related when they made the the Dark Knight trilogy they were very deliberately like when they would watch old Batman movies like the eighties one and all of those uh, those costumes never had neck mobility so if you watch them a lot of the times it's like they have to turn their whole head and I think Batman Begins might have also had that and then when he redesigns the suit in the Dark Knight they he gave him neck mobility that was one of his upgrades <laughs> so he can turn oh, his yeah. neck in it yeah. Something like that. I don't know. It shouldn't be hard. I don't know how costumes work. What am I? What do I know? 
Yeah. My other thing about the Scarens, about Steve, um, is that he had the the lip range of the Nemoidians from Phantom Menace. Oh my god. Where like he just did not look like he was saying anything. Yeah. Sorry, what are the which one are the are the Nemoidians the racist trade people? Yeah. Oh gotcha. Oh you're right. Yeah, yeah. I got a very Nemoidian yeah. vibe from him. Nemoidian vibe is my new uh, alt uh December's cover band. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Ugh. so I don't know. And there were times when he... Was he a costume the whole time? Because there were times when he looked like bad CG. Oh, maybe. I do remember something like that. The show does that thing a lot, though, where they'll, like, have someone... We've been seeing it since, like, episode one or two, when, when Rigel is like, I'm a cool puppet, but wait, don't look at me walking, because well, then I'm the worst. Yeah, but it didn't look that bad. It just yeah, looked yeah. like... I don't know. I think he was a costume the whole time, but there are times where it just did not look like he was in the scene. Right, the lighting was not always, uh, it was not always high key. But Dylan, I took a film class, so I know about lighting, and that was not high key. Mm-hmm. I, one of my notes for one of the parts here was, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was something like, oh yeah, the slave girl is is talking to Crichton and, and uh, the, the bride's mom, and the bride's mom is like, yeah, as long as you should be fine with this girl. It's not like she's working for Scorpius. And then it cuts to her face and it does like a montage cut to her working for Scorpius. <laughs> and I'm like, is that called... <laughs> That's thematic editing. <laughs> I took a film class. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that in this show that you can have fun with. Yeah. But uh, not, So that was not. the Scarin. I don't know. He was fine. I wanted him to be scarier. Yeah, because he's kind of the like man behind the mask. Like, the man behind the curtain in, this, in these episodes. Right. This, like, Scarens are gonna be the big, the big aliens that we don't like, besides the Peacekeepers. Yeah. I don't know. Also, uh, let, what are his powers? Oh. <laughs> he looks at you and you, like, you get, like... You get heat uh, flashes? Yeah, you just get, you start in real hard, and then you're convinced that whatever he says is true. He can, like, hypnotize you, but also make you really hot. <laughs> I think that's all wrong. I don't know what he does. Does he read minds? Can he? No, doesn't he like? Does he not hypnotize people? Not I don't think he does. I don't remember him hypnotizing anyone. Uh, okay. I think he can tell if you're telling the truth or something, and then That's he probably. can also like fry your brain, maybe. But if he has that power, then why doesn't he just like fry Crichton's brain and get the episode? Yeah, I don't know. Have... <laughs> maybe because then <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna trust him. Yeah, and we're gonna learn more about Scarens in the in the near future. Yeah. I have insider. I have insider trading info, oh. so I know that for a fact. Yeah, I, I sold the Yankees or something. That's what insider trading is, right? The Yankees. Uh, moving on. Can we talk about? Please, please. I don't want to burn our load right away, but can we talk about Dargo and Chiana? Yes, let's do it. I th- they're my best. They're the best. They're everything this show needs. They bring the humor. They bring the casual sexuality, and they bring uh, the loving mm. in all the right ways. Because because Dargo is the comic relief star of these episodes. Right. Specifically, he has a line uh, right when Crichton is about to be froze, put to stone. I wish I wrote the line down exactly. Uh, but they basically have a conversation that's like, ah, oh, you crazy fool. Like, go, oh, you know, it's like 80 years isn't that bad. And, uh, oh, there was a weird it, sex joke in well, there. He's Do you remember like, any of this? He's like, uh, on the bright side, um, Chiana and I are having great sex or something like yes! that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Crichton's like, well, all right, see ya. Gone for 80 years. Bye. Yeah. Like, that's the last line he gets. Oh, man. I wish I found that line exactly. I'm, damn it. Was it? It was in part two, I believe, right? Yeah, it might be in their quotes section. Oh, oh, it's right here. I got it. Okay. Do you want to, can we voice this one together? Yeah. Is it in episode two? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll it's be It's the chilling. last quote in the quote. Okay. <laughs> well, now I can only speak truth, and that comes as good and bad news. All right, give me the bad news first. The bad news is that you're married, and you must endure as a statue for 80 cycles in a strange world. What's the good news? Chiana and I are having fantastic sex. <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, that's fun. Let's do a dramatic oh, reading of the other quotes from part one. Oh, do I have part one in front Let's of me? Let's see if there's another. Let me get it. See if there's another dark one. Oh, they're mostly John Aaron. If you find one that you like, I'll. Uh... Okay. Yeah. I'll the other. It. You talk more. The other. More about. Yeah, yeah. Them. The other. The other scene that I really liked with involving Dargo and Chiana was <laughs> the one that you mentioned over text like, a, a couple oh, days God. ago or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Crichton goes to to them for relationship advice, as him and Aaron both do a lot in this episode. And uh, he just sits on the edge of their bed, and they are just going at it. As we we came up with like ten different descriptions of what they were doing last time we spoke, and I don't know if we can say all of those on this show. He's munching on the carpet. He is. It's cunnilingus. It's cunnilingus. He's chowing down on the cooter. He's. Uh, stop it! Stop uh, just, it! I'm done. I'm sorry. Stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's too much. When, that's not what the show is. Yeah, it's. It, it, I don't know. I like you were like, what the heck is that scene? That's so weird. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's just the relationship the three of them have, where he's just like, oh, you know, you are y'all are a bunch of dumb kids that just like to get up in each other's bones all the time. And I'm just, I need to talk to someone. And you guys are busy, but I don't care. Like, I mean, I just need to talk to you. And they do listen. They're not like ignoring him, which is cute, right? And uh, the best right. part of that whole thing is that um, Chiana like goes to do something, or she's under the bed somewhere, and then. <laughs> Dargo like stops what he's doing and then wraps the blanket around him like he's wearing a cloak and he like sits next to Crichton and he's like, all right, let's talk. Let's get comfy. <laughs> that has to be one of those like, I don't know if that was written or improv or what. Just like the, yeah, keep the covers with you and talk to Crichton like you're his best friend. Right. Dargo is so everything I want out of a, out of a buddy character on the show. That's, that's what I have to say about that. I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know. The thing that was weird to me about that scene was just like they framed it when Dargo came out from under the covers as if like, oh, he was there the whole time. But like John had to have known. Oh, totally. So I don't know. I don't know. It was just a little a little farscapey, you know, like saw sex is fine and that's good. It can just catch you off guard yeah. sometimes. I think. Yeah, it is. It's very non-traditional for a show like this to do that. What are some other things you wanted to mention? Oh, wait, wait, wait. There was yeah. a Terry sighting in this episode, you guys. Yep. Chiana wraps her naked body in Terry in part three. What a fitting return for the, the cloth that don't take no sauce. Those are the very end. That's yeah. at the what? <gasps> yes. Well, and I said, welcome back, Terry. You truly are the best member of Team Farscape, so, or Team Moya. Mm. So. I'm happy when my blanket friend is back. Uh, I had a, a um, translator microbes, and I can't remember what it was. It was... Uh, Oh, do you think, here's something I wonder, you know how sometimes people, like characters in sci-fi or in anything, will just express a thought in more words than it needs to be expressed because they're not supposed to sound colloquial? Correct. I wonder if, with words that obviously exist in English that might not exist in alien languages, if John Crichton comes across as somebody who, like, says a lot of words to say an idea and, like what does what must he sound like huh to express like i don't know like let's say oh oh the thing that tipped it off is he said he was talking to somebody 
the nice guy who liked Princess Catralla, whose name I don't remember. Right, right. Um, he says something about the concept of, of, of millionaires, right? Yeah. So I was wondering, like, does their language have a word for millionaire? Or does it sound like he said, uh, ones who have millions of dollars? <laughs> so maybe he, to them, sounds like a weird sci-fi character and he just over-speaks right, right, all the time. Right. That's probably accurate. Because a lot of times they're just like, Oof, half of what you just said went over my head, yeah. like suggesting. So I wonder if he sounds like really poetic. We, I make fun of Ben Browder for being kind of doofy and awkward, and yet every character on the show is like, "No, he's the smartest person I've ever known. He's he's got a brilliant way with words." <laughs> I like to think about that. I also, speaking of Crichton, really love. I mentioned this earlier. I just I love the scene where he got to see what his future kid would look like if he had a kid with the princess. Oh yeah, because it happens so fast. Like it hap- It goes from like, uh, hey, do you want to see what would happen if you guys had a kid? He goes, what? He goes into the next room, and they're like, boom. Hey, there you are. He's one, and you're like, ah, oh, or she. I think it was a daughter. It was a son. Oh, it was a son. But okay. then at the end, and, well, I'll talk about the end. Yeah, yeah, At the beginning, it's like a baby. And he's like, oh, my God, it's a baby. So sweet. Like, this is, maybe I should be a father and we should do this together. And then it happens again later or something. Or no, don't they, like, in a minute later, they're like, you want to see what happens when he gets older yep. or something? And then he sees him as a young kid. And that part's adorable. So touching. Because he's, like, eight or something. And he's like, Dad, hello. I'm a, are you my dad? And I forget if he says yes or not. Well, he, like, this. All right, so we had a little technical snafu. We're back, though, and now we're... We are back. My laptop laptop thought that my microphone disappeared, but it didn't disappear. It was here the whole time. It went into the bowels of space, and then it came back. Yeah. So we're going to try to hop back in. I'm pretty sure we kept track of everything that we talked about after the cut point. If we reiterate anything, just know that it's because we're thorough. (laughs) And because we want to really just dig down. Yeah. So we were talking about this machine that you could see your kid, what your kid would look like. Yes. John has this beautiful scene where he sees a hypothetical son, sharing that with Katrala. Aaron's son sees it from far away, and he's like, oh, no, he's got a baby. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's really sad. Yeah, I would be. Then he, this is uh, brought full circle at the end when... John Crichton is like, all right, so we beat the dudes, the bad dudes. I kind of don't want to be here anymore. I, let's get out of here. And the Empress is like, listen, my daughter is pregnant <gasps> with your baby. <gasps> but we didn't have sex. I may have used your DNA without your consent. <laughs> oh, no. I got <laughs> That's pretty shitty. Let me just That's- say. Yeah, and then we were like, is this some weird in vitro fertilization thing? And it's like, yeah, it's a DNA thing. They play with DNA on the show all the time. Right. Suggesting Uh a sci-fi future where we can all just do cool things with each other's DNA. Boom. Right. So, Crichton's like, well, the honorable thing is to stay and raise my kid. Yep. Then, Counselor Tyno, who I don't think we've talked about yet, unless we just talked about him. In in which case, sorry. Sorry, we're doing it again. Mm -hmm. Counselor Tyno... Is like, um, actually, human physiology is a little different from Sebastian physiology. So if you go through the statue process again, you will die. <laughs> you, w- you will die. <laughs> if Moya is turned into a statue again, she will die. <laughs> Endlessly entertaining, that impression. <laughs> so John Crichton's like, well, all right. Whew. This is, wow, this sucks. <laughs> oh, I got it. Okay, perfect. Tino, you're the king now. Congrats, because you and Katrala have been in love this whole time, but you couldn't be together because of the biological stuff that the Scarens did. You guys can now be married Yay. and stuff. 
because there's a good biological heir, thanks to me, thanks to my great DNA. Thanks to my sweets. You're, you're good. Oof. I'm out of here. And they're like, great, that sounds great. Would you like to see what your child would look like? And he's like, yeah, okay. And Alan? Yeah, buddy. This kid has long hair. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Boys don't have long... Oh. Oh. It's a girl. <laughs> he's got... Uh, what are... Mm. He's got long hair and no umbilical cord. Also, he's five, so why would he have an umbilical cord? It's a girl. <laughs> it's it's a full girl. You just like you like describe ten different things that you learned about boys in books, boys in books, <laughs> and then you're like, and no, John Crichton. He's not those. John Crichton sees her and he says, "Wow, look at the princess." Uh, and then there was like ten minutes of me going ah, <laughs> realizing that that's the title of the episode, episode. Any. She's like, are you my daddy? And he's like, yep. And I cried. Gotta go now. I, I almost cried. Would you judge me if I told you I cried Forever. a little bit? So that was that. I also said something about Tino. You was, sorry, say that again. I, there's a delay, by the way, just uh, yeah. to play with. But um, I was saying that I cried a little bit, and I said, would you judge me if I told you I cried? No, I wouldn't. There you go. It was pretty cute. Mm-hmm. thing I said about Tino, he looked just like Prince Kai Geiger. <laughs> Prince, Prince Clavicle. Prince Clavicle. Clavor, Magellan. Come on. Clavor. 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 So there was a long stretch where I was just confused as to, like, who's who. But I figured it out. That's me for, like, so. not most of the show. I'm a smart cookie. <gasps> cookie. So we talked about them. We talked about Scorpius. Oh, yeah. I think we had a ton to really say about Scorpius. Well, that was... We just thought he was pretty cool. The, a- that was the problem, was that we felt like he wasn't used enough, even though he's interesting and... They just didn't justify him being there. Yeah, it just didn't make sense that he would volunteer to show up and be the the collateral, not the collateral, but the um, <laughs> the clavicle. No, <laughs> what's that thing where you give someone two choices and it's like, don't give me one of those. Uh, 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 uh between a rock and a hard place. Ultimatum. 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 The born ultimatum. It's weird that he would volunteer himself to be part of an ultimatum for John Crichton. Yeah. Because, like, Crichton would not choose. No, I want to go hang out with Scorpius. Yeah. But he's that's... not going to choose that. It just didn't make sense. Scorpius's buddies kidnapped John Crichton, and he was in a ship, and then he went crazy, and he blew it up and jumped into space. That was cool, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. That was one of the scenes that I felt like was added in post because it didn't feel cohesive. And also, we got the return of Crazy Crichton. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about, we started to talk about Aaron's son. So let's dig into Aaron's son in mm. these episodes. She's lovely. Yeah. She's great. I don't know. It, oh, you were saying it felt very high her, school. I remember this. It felt really high school. It felt like a kind of a stock character. The girl who's like, oh, I don't know how to admit my feelings to Crichton, which isn't, that's kind of what Aaron's son is, but it also is not really. She's much more mature than that. Yeah. I don't know. And I was comparing it to Clone High because I was saying that Crichton is uh, Lincoln, she is Joan of Arc, and uh, Dargo is Gandhi, and Cleopatra is uh, Chiana. Catrala is Cleopatra. Or, yeah, that's even better. Yeah, that works. Um, but it is, yeah, that's not the way that this relationship has normally played out. It just, yeah. I don't know. I keep We keep talking about how, like, characters felt forced into this episode, but then it's like, who didn't feel forced in this episode? It's Crichton. I guess it's Dargo, although he doesn't really do much other than give advice. Right. So then you're like, what defines someone being forced and not being forced? How do you yeah. delineate that? Just poking your brain with that question. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I think 
characters feel forced when the plot doesn't have a natural space for them. Um, and I think it's more likely for a character to feel forced in an episode that's on a planet, because a lot of the time, key players in a plot will be played by natives of the planet, characters that we're not going to see again. Yeah. So basically, John Crichton fills a role in the story, in the like full plot, uh, of the planet, and then all of his crewmates have to fill a role that supplements him in some way, or that is tied to him. Right. They they are not interacting really with the natives of the planet. They are not filling a role in that plot. So mm. you're forcing a lot of characters to supplement Crichton, and it makes them all feel crowded and yeah, not great. Good point. Um, Dargo fits because he's like the the bro given advice. Chiana fits because she's the girlfriend of the bro giving advice, and she can also give advice. Uh, Rigel fits because he's the, like, stately, I-can-give-political-advice guy. Uh, they threw Zahn away in the garbage. And then all that Aaron really has left is she's the girl that doesn't want him to be here. That's what she has to be doing. Yeah, And so it forces her into a role that's, like, a little... Like, kind of melodramatic. Like, that scene where she shoves Katrala and the other ladies' faces into a mirror or whatever. Yeah. Yep. You remember? That? Like, the, uh, that was weird. Um, I don't know. She just kind of felt off. And then it, it was really immature. She didn't play it that immature, but the plot of, like, oh, well, you're doing this. I'm going to go with the handsome blonde guy rock climbing. And he's going to fucking just, die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just seems kind of, like... American Pie or something. I don't yeah. Know. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the rock climbing. Uh, I want to. That was. I mean, that was probably filmed in Australia. But I hope so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird set. Weirdly dark. Because yeah, he's like, I'm. She's like, all right. If you're so tough, because this is a guy who keeps flirting with her throughout the whole trilogy, and <laughs> she she just keeps being like, no, you're weird. You're gross. Even though he's like very clearly very traditionally handsome, and she she finds him physically attractive, and. As is as is is um, standard in the plot where she's like trying to make Crichton jealous or trying to satisfy her own urges, she says, "You know what? Fine, let's go. Are you ready to be intense? Are you ready to be my cool boyfriend? Let's go rock climbing—the most like stereotypically intense thing of the early two thousands." And so they go rock climbing like in this outdoor, be- uh, right over some water, like it's like next to the the ocean, <laughs> basically, basically, which is not safe. And they get, like, pretty high up, and she's like, oh, yeah, this is badass. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I'm doing my best. Like, I, j- I just thought we were going to, like, make out in the corner for the rest of the episode, but okay. And then uh, it turns out he does. he's not a good rock climber. Is there any more to it other than he's a bad rock climber, and he goes, whoops, I slipped, and then he just <laughs> eats it? Is there more to it? Are you there? Yes. Okay, sorry. I, uh, just to peel back the curtain, the call was coming in and out while you were doing his voice. And so it was just choppy bits of you being like, I'm doing my best. (laughs) (laughs) Some of those probably make a good clip. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he just kind of falls like a little, like a little guy, like a little guy. And she's like, oh, this guy. And she drags him through the rocks pretty, pretty brutally without sympathy. He's like, oh, no, this hurts. And she says, you shouldn't have fallen off the rocks. Um (laughs) And then he's kind of really nice to her, and he's like, you should go hang out with Crichton. You love him. And she's like, uh, thanks, mysterious, handsome stranger. That's kind of it. I don't know. It wasn't that useful. Oh? Um, hold on. Somebody's knocked on my door. Cutting! I'm going to take this time to say thank you guys for sticking with us in this difficult episode. 
we uh, are having trouble talking about our first trilogy. We've had quite a few technical difficulties, but we are just about at the end here. So if you stuck with us this long, pre- I appreciate it. Let us know if you made it through this, and we'll be back to a much more normal, regular schedule next week, just because we're in a weird transitory period, life-wise, and also with this episode. Other things I was going to say are, like, you are lovely and beautiful, and this show is great. And even though it sounds like we're shitting on this episode, I really liked it. And I like this show. I just think that we found a couple weird faults in what was otherwise a really great episode. Now, uh, I'm not actually sure if Majon's back and just listening to me, or if he's not back. But I'm just going to keep telling you guys stories. Because I could theoretically cut here. But I find this to be way more fun. Because very often when we do breaks, we're actually not doing a break this episode because we've already been going for so long. But when we do breaks, Magellan will like play you guys music or tell stories. And we usually cut those. I think we've actually put in one of them or one of them we put in and then had to take down the episode. Seven or 12, I'm not sure. No, it was seven. Anyways, it was because we had we kept the break bit in there and there was some like personal conversation that we didn't want to be in the episode in there. Point is, this is my chance to talk to you and say that I am having more trouble than I thought getting back into this whole podcast thing. But this is a process. This is how we learn. I feel like we've evolved a lot over the course of all these episodes. And when we do eventually start putting these on iTunes and we start kind of treating it more like, oh, this is a thing that we do, uh, we're going to try and keep a more consistent stream of good quality for y'all. Because, I mean, you deserve it, you know? There aren't a lot of Farscape podcasts out there. I think a quick Google search helped it found us like one other one that just ended recently or is about to end. But don't listen to them. We're cooler. I haven't actually listened to them. Uh, Magellan said he listened to a little bit and said they were okay. But we're also, I like to think we're better than okay. I like to think we're out of this world. There he is, the man of the hour. Hey, what's up? Hey, is it Humphrey Bogart? Yeah, here I am, Humphrey Bogart. You know me from these films. Let Ca- me name them. Casablanca. Cas- Casablanca. Would you like more? Yes, please. Wait, is this Jimmy Stewart? Okay, what? Jimmy yeah, it's, hey, it's me, Jimmy Stewart. I do many movies. Many movies. Many, many movies. Majan, I uh, am keeping all of this because I just talked, to, I spoke to the audience um, during that little bit. I finally got to have my solo moment oh, and it was fun. Yeah, so uh, uh, do you want to get back to the wrapping up this episode? Yeah, let's do it. Cool! So, what were we talking about? Sorry. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, fella. Well, I don't know. we got through all of the plot, and we want, we're going to do our wrap-up thoughts on the episode. How about that? Yeah, let's wrap wrap it on up with this the background info for parts one and, for parts two and three. Yep. And then uh, just right. send it on home. Send it off into the ocean. Yes, sir. All right. Background, background info for part two, which is called I Do, I Think. Okay. Andrew Prowse referred to this trilogy as a pretty ambitious little episode in a joking manner. He went on to note that Crichton's scene in the Jakensh cockpit was one of his favorites from the show. Jakensh. I don't know what that means. Me neither. I couldn't tell you. Uh, ben Browder again ad-libbed a great reference to a T-bird. Yay. Oh. We love Ben Browder's ad-libs. Gotta love, gotta love Browder and the T-birds. He said, God, I miss my 62 T-bird. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original editor, the two-parter... Would have removed the wedding sequence. So that's one of the extra scenes, I guess. Yep. Pretty useless. Um, Four sharks. Originally, Dave Elsie was supposed to play Rona, the slave who was working for Scorpius. But then uh, it was given to Francesca Buller. Oh, that's Dave, Ben Browder's Dave, wife. Yeah, Dave Elsie is one of the writers. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Jonathan Hardy 
gave the, his character a Welsh accent after seeing the costume. That's interesting. So the builders were are formed out of steam. And this is because originally the idea for the peacekeepers is that they were steam troopers. Soldiers made of steam. Oh. That's um. a good thing they didn't do that, right? <laughs> uh, I guess so, yeah. That that doesn't... Mm, I don't I don't really like... I, I can't even imagine that. I can't like... Yeah. It's a totally different show. Yeah. Uh, here's a fun one. Tony Tilsa feels that the appearance of uh, Kaenu... Is that how you say it? Kaenu? The... The god. The I think it was Kahenu. Yeah. Kahenu. Tony Tilsa feels that the appearance of Kahenu's face in the steam is an homage to Imhotep's face appearing in the sand in the 1999 version of The Mummy. Do they know that that's one of the most awkward CG shots of all time? Are you kidding me? <laughs> John goes into space, whatever. Space. David Kemper. Oh, here we go. A Rockne Sabana quote. Perfect. David Kemper was not content with simply removing Crichton from the mix and focusing on him for the middle hour of the trilogy. Rockness O'Bannon recalled, quote, The second hour, when it was first conceived, was far more cobbled together and was treading water to keep place. It was Crichton on board the ship, and it was far more a bottle show. It wasn't intended to be, but it was taking on some of those aspects, just because of the way that scenes could be added. But David is very good at saying, that kind of works, but keep working at it to make it good. Do you guys know what a bottle episode is? <laughs> I feel like every quote Rockness O'Bannon is talking about a bottle show. He's always talking about. Bullshit. I don't think he knows what it is. I don't think he, or at least he, he's looking at it differently than I do. Which is like it's an episode that minimizes setting, characters, and uh, like things that cost money to save money and to tell a smaller scale story. Like that's what that is. Right. Buller talking about Rona. I don't really care to be honest. Rona's the slave girl. She's useless. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, O'Bannon was pleased with the introduction of the Builders, saying, The notion that Moya is a living being, but has her origins in past generations as a physical ship, a welded bolted ship that was somehow imbued with life, with a spirit, is to me really rather mythic. Uh, It could be left as just that. But the blessing of having a show that's on more than one year is you can explore those notions. The Builders are folks that we wanted to get into the show for for some time. Um... While captured by Braca, his name's Braca, the Braca. lieutenant. Yes. On Rona's ship, Crichton acts out the oh yeah, the self hostage scene from Blazing Saddles and the scene from Aliens with the character Hudson wigging out. That was a fun reference. I don't yeah, it was. I don't I hope this show doesn't lean too hard into pop culture references. I feel like that's always awkward in sci fi. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's part of John Crichton's like yeah. I I, just, I mean like he can like reference it like oh this is like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But when it's like, hey, remember this scene from like a Western movie? I feel like that pulls me out a little bit because I don't know if he's if it, if especially if it's not him doing it. In this case, he's doing it obviously, so it works. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Just, uh, and then you want to hear the background info from part three? Pretty please. Look at the princess. Part three: The Maltese Crichton. Mm. The title comes from the book and films The Maltese Falcon. The bronze Crichton statue remained at the top of the stairs at Jim Henson's Creature Shop at Homebush Bay for the rest of the series. <laughs> it took two hours to get Ben Browder out of the body cast after he posed for the statue because the wrong material was used. Oh, Uh-oh. God, that sounds scary. Yes. A lot, the of, love scene, a lot of stuff. The love scene between Gina and Crichton took four hours to shoot. <laughs> Rockney and O'Bannon said about the, about the scene, this was something the network wanted us to do. Make the show as sensual and sexy as we could. We didn't want to do soft porn, but we did want to push the limits. We weren't trying to draw people for prurient reasons, but there are things you can do on cable that you can't do on regular networks. 
That's something that science fiction on television didn't often do before Farscape, because when it's on a regular network like the Star Trek shows are, they have to deal with a broader audience. I don't remember that scene being that big of a deal. Which scene is this again? Sorry. Him and the the spy lady getting it on. It's sexy. Like, it's, like, reminiscent of James Bond, but it's not, like, you know, racy, you know? <laughs> it's not, like, right. that's, whoa. It's not, like, yeah. grabbing his junk or anything. Mm. Right, his junk. Uh, cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Browder was surprised there wasn't more reaction from the fans about Crichton's involvement with Gina. It's, who cares? <laughs> Claudia Black and Aaron Cash took an indoor rock climbing lesson before shooting their climbing scenes. It kind of shows. It looks it looks like they took one rock climbing class. (laughs) The rock climbing scenes were filmed in Darling Bay and in an area north of Sydney named Colonel, notorious as a body dumping ground. Oh my god. (laughs) Wow. I guess that makes sense with why he just kinda I thought he died. So there you go. That's look at the print the Look at the Princess trilogy. Woof. Good stuff. Kinda I don't know. I think that this show really benefits from two parters. And one parter. Three parters, maybe not so much. The thing is, uh, it just, it, it has stories it wants to tell, but I don't feel like any, like you can, you should be able to explain all of them in, in a couple sentences. Cause these characters, these are characters you can implant into like any sci-fi story pretty much. They're all broad enough, but as soon as yeah. you're like, oh, now we got three episodes to tell a story. You gotta try. It just—I feel like it focused a little bit too much on the planet and not enough on the characters that we yeah. like. Yeah. Well, but, speaking of the characters we like, I wonder what they're going to do next week. Oh, we should name this segment. By the way, I feel like that would be a, a prudent thing to do. Here we are at Netflix Town. We're reading the Netflix all around. We like to dance and sing our songs, but the Netflix things can't be too long. Wow. Wow. Both in the Netflix Town. Netflix Town, where we tell you what to expect for next week on Skate Chats and the next two episodes of Farscape that we're watching. Mm-hmm. Can I read them? Yeah. Uh, no, you can't. Don't read them. No! Um, Magellan disconnected the call. We're not talking to each other anymore. This is a I've podcast. died! I'm He's a di- ghost no. now! <laughs> ghost Magellan, Hello. will you tell me the episode? Because your live self is a dummy. Of course! Of course. Go ahead. Next week, we'll be watching two episodes of Farscape. The first is episode 14 of season two, called Beware of Dog. <laughs> Stop there. Beware of Doge. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I'm Gee, so sorry. Wow, dude. <laughs> oh, I'm so late. I'm Are so tired. I made a meme reference. No, I'm not proud of that. No. <laughs> okay. Beware of Dog. Chiana returns with a cute little creature called Vork, called mm. a Vork, excuse me. Damn it. <laughs> uh, when Dargo is attacked by a beast, the crew uses the Vork to track down the unwanted guest. So that okay. one sounds kind of fun. Sure. But. This next one I've heard is really good. Yes, me too. It's called Won't Get Fooled Again, Season 2, Episode 15. Crichton is on Earth, safely returned from his failed Farscape mission. Crichton then starts seeing the crew of Moya in various earthbound guises. This episode, sorry, don't know what that was. This episode looks really exciting because the first one, or like this next week, is going to be exciting because the first one looks kind of cute and Vorp looks really weird. And then the second one, the Netflix thumbnail is like Aaron Aaron's son as a doctor inspecting Crichton's ear. So, Doctor's son is potentially something to get hyped for. I have no idea what to expect other than I've heard it's really good. <sighs> Thank you, Majan, for that. Those summaries. Let's, Thank you. Let's wave goodbye as our car slams past Netflix Town into the next town on our trip. On to Topeka. On to Creditsville. 
the land where we talk about plugs. Time to plug them in. Yep. Oh, Thank you. no. Thank you for listening to Scape Chats episode 18. My name, as always, is Alan, and his name is, as always, Magellan. And uh, we had a lot of fun recording this one. If you would like to email us feedback, questions, comments, concerns, life advice, you can do so at scapechats at gmail.com. That's scapechats with a Z at gmail.com. Magellan has a fantastic webcomic that hopefully we'll be updating again soon. Can we can we Yeah, that? sure. I'm thrilled. It's called Platonic Solids, and you can find it at theplatonicsolidscomic.tumblr.com. Spelled exactly mm-hmm. like you think it is. It's very funny. It's very new, 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 nouveau riche. Ugh, my words are so I will hard. say, I will say Tumblr is not spelled exactly like you think it is. Well, I mean, Tumblr is a brand, though. It's a hashtag brand. Uh-huh. The URL part, the beginning part is... Uh, uh-huh. Is <laughs> Maha? Yeah, it's spelled exactly how you think it is. And uh, yeah, and then I'm at twitter.com slash Alan Ibrahim, which is Ibrahim spelled I-B-R-A-H-I-M. This has been Scape Chats, somewhere in the universe.